Welcome to Midweek, a place where we dive deep into Scripture. So grab your Bible, a pen, and a notebook, and get ready to study God's Word. Okay, so we're going to look tonight at Daniel. Uh, I called this one a man of integrity. And we're going to travel from, in chapter 6, we're going to go from verse 1 to verse 11. And uh, just kind of like going back over some very, very quick things. Um, we left off last time, which was two weeks ago, and we saw where uh, Darius the Mede of the Medo-Persian Empire, he, has, he entered into Babylon and he, and he conquered it. Belshazzar uh, was the, um, the ruler of Babylon at that time. And as we said at the very end of last week, they came in through the water entryway of the Euphrates River because they diverted the water upstream built a reservoir, diverted the water, the water went down, and they went under the city, and they took the city. And, and so we saw where that moment in time, October 12, 539 B.C., that the, the, the imagery of the dream of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 2, where it's the head of gold, and now it transfers to the chest and the arms of silver, and now it goes from Babylon to the Medo-Persian Empire at that moment in time. The, the prophecy is fulfilled. But before we get into this, I want to just quickly talk about or there's, a, there's a, about a potential problem and I'll give the answer to it. And that is the question of who is Darius? Because Darius is the one that we read about that's conquered Babylon. But Cyrus is actually the king of the Medo-Persian Empire. So how does Darius play into this whole thing if Cyrus is the actual king? And so like anything, they're always... Um, looking for reasons why the Bible's wrong. We don't find any historical records of this man by the name of Darius whatsoever. And there is another Darius, but he doesn't fit the time frame in history. He's uh, from 522 to 486 B.C. And the Darius we're reading about is at 539 B.C., so he doesn't fit the time frame. So they point to that even more and more. So they'll say, like, then Daniel could be wrong. And the question is, is Daniel wrong on the name? And the answer is... No, because as usual, archaeology and archaeological discoveries, they, uh, they, you know, they dig around and they found this uh, cuneiform clay tablet and it's called the Nabonidus Chronicle. And in this chronicle, it actually corroborates, one, there was no battle for the city, which is true. They came into the water tunnel and they took it. Secondly, it says that Cyrus was not leading the army to capture Babylon, which is true. It was Darius who was leading. And thirdly, the Nabonidus Chronicle says it was a general from the Medes of the Medo-Persian that led the army, and he actually ruled in Babylon. And then they found other archaeological stuff that illuminates even more that the general of the Mede army conquered Babylon, and he ruled Babylon, Darius, for about four years, and then he died. So the more they dig around, the more they find things, it just proves that once again, the Bible is true. And that's a really cool thing, isn't it? Now, one thing I want to say tonight, because I'm going to call it, uh, I call it Daniel, a man of integrity, is, and this is by way of introduction, could you keep your marker right here, and just very quickly go over to Matthew chapter 7, going over to the first book in the New Testament, if you would, please. In Matthew chapter 7, <clears throat> uh, it's a well-known, really good uh, illustration that Jesus gives. But in Matthew 7, I want to read verse 24 to um, verse 24, 25. It says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall. For it had been founded on the rock. But let me read the next few verses, because they fit with it. This is the whole part of it. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The biggest problem with the foolish man in the story is not just that he builds his house upon the sand, but he thinks tomorrow is going to be like today. Today is good. There's no floods. There's no rain. You think it's always going to be that way, but it's not always going to be um, smooth sailing. Any amens on that? So you always got to be ready. Verse 27. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. Now, why do I read these two verses or four verses as I intro into Daniel? Because Daniel in chapter 6, and you can go back to Daniel now, Daniel in chapter 6 is going to face a massive storm in his life. It's coming at him now. This is now where they're going to try to get this guy. And next week we'll go into the second half of what happens because he's going to go into the, he's going to be tossed into the lion's den. And so he's going to face this, uh, this big pressure, this moment that um, many people would probably just compromise. But Daniel, as we're going to see, is a great man of integrity. This guy's life is built on the rock, man, on, on God. And so he's going to stand firm in the storms of life. He's not going to compromise himself one bit. So he is like the epitome of the person that builds his house, his life, upon the solid rock. So whenever the winds and the rain and the flood comes, the house is immovable. The house does not cave in, doesn't fall down. And that's a picture of really a strong faith. So with that said, let's go ahead and begin in Daniel, Daniel chapter 6. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 to start off as we see how they're going to try to uh, trap Daniel into something so they can actually have him killed. So verse 1 says, It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, that they should be in charge of the whole kingdom. And over them three commissioners, of them Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them, and the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. And the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Now, there's a new empire in place. And it's the, P, the, the Persian or Medo-Persian Empire. And what they have now is they've set up 120 satraps to govern. Because this is not like Babylon. Babylon was a king. He dictates everything. The Persian government way of operating is more delegation. So they set up 120 satraps, which are governors, to oversee the entire realm of the kingdom. Now, over these 120 satraps there's going to be three commissioners that have been appointed, of which Daniel is one. Of the three commissioners that have been appointed, the king Darius, he is noting that one of these three commissioners really stands out, and his name is Daniel. And he's going to appoint Daniel. This is what he's, he's going to do. He's going to appoint Daniel to be the top dog over all the commissioners. In other words, it'll be the king, and then it'll be Daniel. Now, it says that Daniel is distinguishing himself well, the word distinguishing, it means he's excelling, he's preferred, and it means that he is uh, like shining like glitter. That's the actual idea of that word. So this guy's really standing out. He's shining. There's something about this guy that as good as the other two commissioners are, Daniel's even better. 
Now the question, and we said about it, we said it last week or two weeks or three weeks ago, how old is Daniel at this time that he is just shining? He's about 80 years old. He's been in Babylon a long, long time. He's an octogenarian. And at 80 years old, this guy is just really standing out still so much that the king is noticing him and wants to appoint him to be the top over everything except for the king himself. So he's really doing uh, something special. So the big question is, uh, what has Daniel done? What is it about Daniel that makes him shine so much that King Darius would say, I'm going to make this guy my top guy in the kingdom? So as we travel through the chapter with your notes that you have, that I, I will have, there are certain things that say integrity, 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 and I will make integrity points about Daniel's life as we go along. But that's just woven into all the other things that I'm going to bring in too. So there's kind of two competing ideas in your notes specifically as we go along. So the first integrity point in your notes is this. Daniel has maintained a great attitude. Daniel's maintained a great attitude through all of this thing. See, through the worst of problems, through the toughest things, Daniel always has, has never resorted to a bad attitude. He's never been disrespectful. He's never done anything to really show that, you know, he lacks character. He always has a really good attitude. So the question is, why? Why? Now let's put it in context of what's going on. Daniel, and he's writing it, so we know he's going to be appointed. He's retrospecting it. He's going to be appointed as the top dog under the king. But all these other, the other two commissioners and the satraps and governors, they're all not liking that, and they're all going to go after him to try to take him down. So now when you put it all together and think about a good attitude in Daniel's life, what is it about Daniel in the midst of all that, knowing they're going to go after him, they're trying to get him, what is it that makes this guy secure? Because many people would be very insecure, right? Like the commissioners and the other, and the satraps. Because what don't they want Daniel to be? They don't want him to be over them. They don't want him to move up in position. Daniel is secure. He knows, therefore, then God is sovereign. We know from past weeks and months that Psalm 75 says that God raises up one and puts down another, right? So God is the one that raises up people and puts down another. If you really believe that, if I really believe that, then we will be very okay and secure in whatever position God puts us in or takes us out of and moves us sideways. Any amens on that right there? You'll be secure in that. But you have these other two commissioners and these other satraps, governors, that are not secure in the position. And so they don't like the fact that they see Daniel shining. They can see the writing on the wall. Darius likes the guy. He's going to raise him up. So in their insecurity, they're going to try to take Daniel down because they don't believe in a God that's sovereign. They don't understand that there is a God who, makes, who puts us in position or moves us this way or takes us out of position and moves us there where we can be secure in our position. Amen to that one? And so you see this whole idea in Daniel's life and why he can have a great attitude towards everything because he knows no matter what, God is in charge of everything. No matter what, God has my life. No matter what, and we should be secure in that too. Now, verse 4 and verse 5 says this, because here it comes now, here, here it comes. Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs, but they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption. Inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. 
Then these men said, We shall not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the what? The law of his God. That's a really, really big deal there. Integrity thought number two, bullet point in your notes. Daniel has a great work record, does he not? If what we do, we just read it right there. There's, now, guys, is Daniel just a civilian or is he a government employee? Is he a politician? Yeah, he is. He's way up there in the rank, guys. He's up there. He's, he's in the political circles. Yes, he is. The king's here, and he's a politician right here. Yeah, we have a politician, and they can find no corruption in his life. Wow. What, what a, wouldn't that be great? Can I tell you one of my cynical pet peeves as I get older? Is that okay? <laughs> okay, because you're going to get it anyway. I don't know. You know, it just gets me that people go into office, they make a hundred and some thousand dollars a year, right? And when they leave office, how much money do they have? Oh my gosh. How do they turn that into all these millions upon millions upon millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of dollars? I wonder how, huh? I'm get, I get, as I get older and I watch it, it's like I just get cynical about a lot of these things. But Daniel, can they find anything corrupt about him in regards to his job? Has this politician? And the answer is, survey says? No. no, thank you. God bless you right there. Now, question. What's the mark of a true servant? What should be the mark of our politicians, but we don't find much of it anymore? What's the mark of a true servant? They're faithful. They're faithful. Let's go with the biblical definition, right? Because we can't go with the cultural definition because somewhere along the line, we're going to go wrong on that. So if we go down to where Jesus in Matthew 25, he tells us the story of the, of the five, two, and one talents. Correct? Remember that one? Give it to those guys. And then the, the, the boss leaves, comes back. The guy with five talents, what does he do with it? He doubles it. The guy with two talents, what does he do with it? He doubles it. Now, the, the third guy with the one talent, we know what he does. We won't go there. But the five and the two, when they double it, what does the boss tell them? Well done, good and faithful servant. That's the, that, that's the, that's the definition of, 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 a, of a great servant. You're faithful. Notice Jesus didn't say, well done, successful servant. Because they were successful, Right? They were, and God is not against success, and we like to be successful, keep a good attitude in that. But in that uh, parable of the talents, the point isn't success. The point is faithfulness. Be faithful. I mean, did Jeremiah ever get anyone to repent? None. Was he faithful throughout his life? Yes. You, from from a worldly standard, we'd look at Jeremiah like he was some kind of failure. He wasn't. He was a great success. Because he was faithful to what God told him to do. I mean, God told some of these Old Testament prophets, go preach to them, but guess what? They're not going to listen to you. How many of you would say, then forget it then? <laughs> they went and did it for their whole life. They kept sharing and sharing. And, you, know, it's, you, know, you better repent. And, and they didn't. So this whole idea of faithfulness is what you want to see in a person. So we want to have in our life faithfulness. Now, <clears throat> Now look back at verse 5. And just you could just stare at it. I'm going to talk about it. In verse 5, can they get him on his track record? No, they cannot. So what are they going to go after instead? 
His dedication to? To God. They can't get him on his work track record because there's no corruption here. So they're going to go after him a whole different way. They're going to go after him in regard to the dedication to his God. So they say specifically, unless at the end of verse 5, unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. Okay, let, let, let me quickly share that. Then I'm going to make some people mad and I'm going to do all that. Okay, because I don't care anymore. Okay, I'm just right there. I'm just, I'm older, so I don't blush. I don't care. I don't, I'm just joking. But I do make people mad. I do make people mad. Um, what's going on here is they're going to make a law and that law will be in competition with God's law. And they know that Daniel will not compromise his life whatsoever. And so therefore, when the two laws are in competition, which law is Daniel going to obey? God's law. Which one's he going to disobey? The law that they create. And once he disobeys the law that they create, therefore they can now get him and they can throw him in the lion's den. This is what they're doing. And this is what's going on in America right now, guys. You can say, no, it doesn't. Please, please, come on. Let's be real, okay? So that's what's going on. We're, we're getting to these points in life. I remember... Um, let me use this as leading to illustrate this whole idea right here because this is what's, this is what's going on and uh, it just bugs me. It bugs me. Um, I remember about um, 40, a little over 40 years ago, I, I told you before, I was a correctional officer and um, I remember one time I was a rookie officer and remember, did any of you remember, only the older people will remember this. <laughs> remember those little lapel things we used to wear on our collars? that said Jesus or it was a cross or praise. Remember it was real small. Anybody, how many remember those things? Yeah, my, my peeps. Okay. I, I had one on my, on my collar I, as a CO at East Facility Chino. And I remember one of the sergeants saw, he saw me, hey, that's not, that's not a CO issue. You can't, you can't wear that right there. And to me, I was like, okay, no big deal. But then I had a, a veteran guard who was another Christian who goes, Del Camo, don't worry, let me talk to this guy. Because <laughs> he knew that guy, the sergeant. And they'd known each other forever, probably worked together forever. And, but they were telling me, you can't wear that because it represented Jesus Christ. And they told me, you can't wear that. Now, that was a long time ago in a land far away. Um, but it's gotten worse, hasn't it? Yes. It's really gotten worse. And there's a whole... Um, it's not my opinion, it's fact. There's a whole demonic activity behind everything that's going on. Because everything is about snuffing out God. It's about eliminating Jesus. Why is it we could talk about Buddha, Allah, everything? You can't, don't talk about Jesus though. Why is that? Because Jesus is alive and the other ones aren't alive and there's real demonic activity. The one of the things that really bugged me if you're new, if this is your first time here, every so often on Tuesday, because I get to be more free on Tuesday, because I'm not trying to reach unbelievers, I can just talk to Christians. Um, you guys understand that? Yes. Okay, good. Um, because I can't be full-blown John the Baptist on Sundays, because I'll just drive everybody away. It's just, <laughs> but um, if you can understand that one. Because um, I'm a real black and white individual. I just, it's just the way God made me. Um, but it was three years ago, four years ago, three years ago, when they were doing the, um, the interviews for Supreme Court Justice and the one lady's name, Coney Barrett, what's her name? Amy. 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 Amy Coney Barrett. 
And I remember I was watching the interview and stuff, and I'm watching, and I remember, and, and I don't mean to pick on any politicians, but it's the one, I, one of them that I remember. It was real clear, and I remember Diane Feinstein was interviewing her, and Coney Barrett, she's a Catholic. Catholics don't believe in what? Abortion. Abortion. Well, we know that. Everybody knows that. In fact, Catholics are on the front line of the Planned Parenthood. They stand out the Planned Parenthood. They're the ones out there. The Catholics are. Did you know that? When I've gone out there, the few times I've ever gone out there, out there and stand in front, it's the Catholics that come out in number because they're against abortion. And so they know she's a Catholic and they know she's a believing Catholic and a practicing Catholic. And so I remember Feinstein asked her this, no, not asked her. She made this statement to her and I'm watching, I'm going, mm, I know exactly what that means. And Feinstein said, the doctrine rings loud in you. I go, oh, I know what she means. She means you're a spiritual person and you will try to stop us from killing babies. And that's exactly what it was. You could say, that wasn't it. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. That's exactly what she was talking about. And I thought, oh my gosh, there's the big pushback right there. Now listen, listen. Daniel is facing the same kind of squash. You can't wear that. You shut up. You keep it to yourself. We're going to try to keep you off the Supreme Court. He's facing it. And he's going to have, and he's going to, not have to, but he's going to swim against the current, is he not? Yes. He's going to do that. And he's going to do that because his foundation is strong. Because he believes in the word of God, not in the darkened heart of mankind. And he follows the word of God and he's prepared to go, which, now moving on, which is another quick integrity point for Daniel and that is this in your notes. Daniel has nothing to hide. He has nothing to hide. Can they find anything on him? Is he open and honest? Is he, he's not a hypocrite, right? He has nothing to hide. Don't you love that? There's nothing to hide. Go home, get my computer. It's okay, look it up. There's nothing to hide in there. Now, verse 6. Then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement. Here they come. Here they come, guys. They come by agreement to the king. They're coming to talk to the king. And spoke to him as follows. Um, <clears throat> king Darius, uh, live forever. Which was a common statement when you approach the king. Live forever. All the commissioners, remember the word all, okay? All the commissioners of the kingdom, the, the prefects and, sat, and the satraps, the high officials, and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. Did you catch it all? Wow. Quick sidebar. Okay. Look back at verse 3. This is a sidebar off that. And I'll get into that in a second. Verse 3. What was the king planning to do? Make Daniel number one, right? So the king had a plan, right? What are these guys planning to do? Take Daniel down. Do you know right now, anytime in your life, my life, there are always two plans for your life? There's God's plan and there's Satan's plan. And they're always in operation. Did you know that? No, did you really know that? There are, there are plans in, in hell to take us down. 
there are traps being set for us and that there's God's plan that we can walk in. Same thing here. There's two potential plans going on. And the question is, which plan are you going to live? That's what it is. Now, they approach, Dan, they approach Darius the king with the plan, their plan. And they say, here's what we're thinking, Darius, and we think it's a really good idea. See, we think that no one, here's a law we're proposing, that no one can pray to any god or any other man except you, except to you, uh, for 30 days, and if they don't, um, why don't we throw them in the lion's den? <laughs> right? Okay. First off, this will be law. This will be law. Hold that thought. My big question, though, is why only 30 days? Do th- because... Will it really take Daniel long to break the law? <laughs> they might as well put 30 minutes, man. He's going to break the law quick. So they don't need the law to last a long time. They know he's going to break it. They know he's not going to compromise his life. Now, here's one of the big issues that we live in right now in our time. I brought it up before as we studied Daniel, and that's fact. And you know what? I can bring up a case of it is go back and look at verse 7. It says, all the commissioners of the kingdom, uh, they've all, in other words, all the commissioners, satraps, everybody's come together and we've agreed on this plan. Is that true? No, mm, no, no, no. They didn't bring Daniel in. We'll, we'll do that in a, we'll get to that in a second. But Daniel wasn't included in this whatsoever. So um, what you have here is what, what I've heard called by great biblical scholars, um, it's, it's, a, it's a stealth law. You know what stealth law is? They don't tell you anything about it. They're just going to pass these laws. They're not going to put it out there on the news. They're not going to put any of it out there. I hear about them because I get different feeds from different things. They're always warning of certain stealth laws that are coming through. And the stealth laws typically are going to put a stop to some kind of Christianity somewhere. That's typically what they do. It's typically to push back uh, on the Christians. Now, I'll give you an example. And I think I've used this in this Daniel before because Daniel really points to what we're living in. It's not, there's nothing new under the sun. Everything repeats itself. Um, it was about four years ago when they, and you, you'll remember when I say this because I said it about two months ago. Um, remember that there was an AB bill. They were pushing this in our California assembly. And uh, the bill said that you, it would be illegal to use any written material to counsel someone in the homosexual lifestyle out of the homosexual lifestyle. Anyone remember that one? Okay. It It would be illegal to do that. There would be a law that you couldn't do that. Now, question. Is the Bible written material? That's right. So it's really sneaky, isn't it? Now, they didn't tell anybody on the news and anything, but I got it, and I told the congregation, and I'll do it every time. And if somebody doesn't like that, you say, you shouldn't meddle in that, I'm going to meddle every time in that. Because you don't understand, if you, don't, if you say I should meddle, then you don't understand what's coming at us. Because they're trying to get to the point where they're going to make a guy like me, or you at work or anywhere, you can't say anything towards anything like that. They'll make that law. I thought we were a free country. I'm going to say that again in a second, by the way. Now, so I told everybody, but 
They were saying you couldn't use written material, which would eventually evolve to the Bible is written material, where you're not going to be able to use it. So you've got to think of what they're trying to do, and now they're pushing back. And so Satan's no fool. If I'm Satan, I would probably go down the same path. But this is what comes at us, and we've always got to be aware of it. So whenever you hear me, every so often say, you need to call up your assembly and whatever on this one, call them. Because I've heard in the past that if they get like anywhere from 10 to 15 calls, they consider that a lot. And they take notice. Not many people call. They just let things slide. They just let things go. Now, so now notice in your notes, this is how they approach Darius with their plan. Real sneaky guys here. Their approach. The first thing is, number one, lie. They lied. When they come to the king, they've lied. Because as I said before, Question, was everyone in agreement with this proposal and this plan? No, because no, Daniel was not included, right? Question, who shines the brightest of all the commissioners? Who's the one that glitters? Daniel does. And if he's the smartest and the best and the brightest, wouldn't you include him in kind of plan like this, thinking things through? They didn't include him one bit. So they've lied now. When they say everybody, no, not everybody. They did not consult with Daniel. Stealth law. It's a stealth law, guys. You see them all the time. The second thing, point two in your notes, is flattery. The second part of their approach is they're trying to flatter the guy. Now, Darius is a dictator, is he not? Don't dictators like to be flattered? Don't dictators want to be both a political and a religious authority leader, don't they? Yes, they do. Take the Antichrist. Doesn't he want to be that? He's got the false prophet right next to him. We see it in Revelation. Yeah, this is what they want to be. Now, now I'm going I'm to kind of segue, pause, because now you're looking in your notes and there's a lot of boom, 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 right? You see that? Okay, let me try to explain this and then I'll, I'll do this. Um, there's a thread throughout the book of Daniel. It's a thread. It's not in one empire. It's a thread throughout Daniel. You got that? But in that thread that are just individual pieces that progresses through Daniel, you will see how, how the erosion of things and how atheism takes over and how Christianity is pushed out and how God is removed from things. Now watch the thread. You're going to fill in blanks and you're going to turn in your Bible, but keep your marker here as you go along. Now, now watch the destruction of a nation. Here's, here's how it all works. And at the end of it, you tell me if you're not seeing this in, our, in your lifetime. The step one is Daniel chapter 5, verse 4. Let's read it first. It says, this is Belshazzar, the kingdom goes down. They drank the wine and praised the gods of gold and silver of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So the first step one is idol worship. Are they worshiping idols in in Daniel 5.4? The thread begins. Now we said two weeks ago, what's going on here when they worship the God of stone and etc., they made God a zero. Didn't they do that? Belshazzar makes God a zero. He's insignificant, he's nothing. Now, that's step one. Step two, look at chapter six and verse seven. And we're gonna draw two of them out of verse seven. It says, and read the second half of verse 7, 6 verse 7, that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. Huh. Now, 
Point step two is, after idol worship, is man becomes God. Because what do they just declare Belshazzar to be? You're going to be a god. So now we see there's a rejection of God. They go into idol worship. And now, because they're in idol worship, man becomes God, right? We're going to make you a god. Now, I pointed that out to you two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, that uh, when Paul talks about in Romans 1, where they reject God, they make themselves God, and now we have all these crazy symptoms in our society where people don't even know what they are anymore. And they equated that Paul was basically taken from Genesis 3, where the serpent says to Eve, Eve, if you eat of this fruit, you shall be a what? You shall be a God. You are the shot caller. You decide what's good and right and wrong. Nobody else does. And that's what mankind is now. Mankind makes himself God. So it begins with the rejection of God, idol worship, and now man makes himself God, Romans chapter 1, connected to Genesis chapter 3. Now, let's read the thread again. Look at verse 7 at the end again. That anyone who makes a petition to any God or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. So the step three is now limits on worship. So first there's the rejection of God going to idol worship. Man makes himself God, and now man imposes. There'll be limitations on worship. You get those Ten Commandments out of that courtroom, okay? You start removing this stuff. We're going to start limiting all this stuff. Have we seen that at all? I mean, I remember, I was just telling before service, when I was in elementary school, third grade, I remember one of the teachers heard me and two other kids singing, oh, when the saints go marching in. They thought it was so cool, they took us to all the classes to sing it. You think that happened a day in a secondary school? Are you kidding me? I'd get expelled for that as a third grader. It's crazy. So now there's limits on worship. You see how the thread's working now? You see how the thread's working? Okay, now, let's go to step four. Look at Daniel chapter seven. Look at verse 25 as it progresses on. It's interesting, isn't it? Now it comes to a verse that's the Antichrist, an Antichrist verse that we'll talk about in... Um, one, two, three. In three weeks. Um, he will speak out against the Most High. That's the Antichrist now. And wear down the saints of the highest one. And he will intend to make alterations in times and in law. And they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and a half a... Or three and a half years, as we know, in the second half of the Great Tribulation period. Now, that's step four now. There's changes to the law of God and more time limits. So now we see where there's idol worship, rejection of God. Man makes himself God. Man now, because he is God, they start imposing limits on the worship of God, on the rest of us who want to worship God. And now they've taken it even further now, and they now begin to change the law of God and more limits on what we can do and how much we can pro uh, proclaim God, etc., etc. Do you see the thread? It's getting pretty bad, huh? And then the thread moves to step five. Look at chapter eight. Look at chapter eight. We're going to read verse uh, 11 through 14. 11 the key verse, but I'll read through 14. It even magnified itself to be equal with the commander of the host. He's talking about Antichrist. And it removed the regular sacrifice from him, and the place of his sanctuary was thrown down. Oh, wow. On account of the transgression, the host will be given over to the horn. The horn, we'll find out later, is the, is the Antichrist. With, along with the regular sacrifice, and it, will, uh, and it will fling truth to the ground. 
and perform its will and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to that particular one who was speaking, how long will the vision about the regular sacrifice apply while the transgression causes horror so as to allow both the holy place and the host to be trampled? And here's the answer. He said to me for 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the holy place will, will be properly restored. Okay. When we get there, we'll break down the time frames of everything like that. But here's what's going on with this last step. It's a ban on the offering and on worship. Now there'll be a complete ban on worship because they destroy the, 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 the way it says it. They remove the regular sacrifice, verse 11, from the place of sanctuary and they throw it down. They fling truth to the ground. All the sacrifice, they stop it all. They stop. You can no longer do these things. Now do you see how a nation is destroyed? We reject God. He's a zero. We'll start worshiping stuff. And you, we can worship anything. People do. Then from there, man makes himself God, which is the problem. You see this everywhere. Then man imposes limits on worship. You can't, don't talk about Jesus. Don't you dare. They're starting to limit things. Then there's changes in the law of God and they put more time there. You can't do that. They're going to limit that right there. And then finally, there'll be an ultimate ban on all worship of Jesus. We're not there yet, but that's where we're progressing. Can you see it? Yes. It's coming. It's moving that way. I may not see it in my life, but I may. I don't know. Now, Antichrist is going to fall. We read a lot of Antichrist verses here, but he's going to play right into this one. It's going to be down his alley because he's Satan's son. And he'll fling truth through the ground. And there'll be this, but there'll be a limit on him because the good news is verse 14, after that three and a half years plus, um, that God will come and restore all things. Now, <clears throat> let's see, let's see. So, uh, okay, so let's see now. Let's go back to Daniel. Let's, uh, did that make sense? Of, was that interesting? Okay, I'm just, just wondering, because it's interesting to me. Um, if maybe it didn't, I feel better by sharing it, you know. Okay, so now let's go to, um, go back to chapter 6. Look at verse 8 and 9. Back to Daniel. Now watch. Now, the law is being proposed, going to be put in place. Watch what happens. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed. That's an important statement. So that it may not be changed. Remember that one in a second. According to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. Important statement. Verse 9, therefore King Darius signed a document, that is the injunction. Okay, <clears throat> I brought it out to you, but you noticed that the law can't be changed, huh? Did you catch it? See, <clears throat> when it was Nebuchadnezzar, he was the king. Babylon, he could just change whatever he wanted to change. Not the Medo-Persian, not the Persian law. It's different. They run it different. When the law's in place, not even the king can change it. And the satraps and the governors, they all know it. They all know that once he signs that law, that injunction, he has no power to change it. They know that now they've got Daniel. Once he signs it. And he does sign it. <clears throat> and he can't change it. <clears throat> now verse 10. Here comes Daniel. Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he found out. Daniel finds out they did the secret stealth law. 
He entered his house now in his roof chamber. He had windows open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God, as he had been doing previously, previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition. Uh Uh-oh, that's a violation. And supplication, uh uh-oh, that's a violation. Before his God, uh uh-oh, that's a violation. Daniel finds out there's a law. I'm not allowed to pray to my God for 30 days. What does Daniel do? He goes and prays to his God. (laughs) But by praying to his God, what does he know is going to happen? I'm going to be throwing the lions down. Think about that. Now he faces what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced, remember? The loss of family, loss of home, loss of position, loss of everything you work for in life if he disobeys the self-law. If he disobeys the self-law. This is one of my things that that just get me. Um, He'll lose everything if he if he disobeys that law and he worships God. Um, I watch a lot of things. I, I not like TV a lot of things and stuff, but I, I read things, I watch things and things here and there. But some of the things that were just really clear, you'd hear it so much during that time, especially during COVID. You know, that just was really a, a bothering time for me for multiple, multiple reasons. Um, but People were losing jobs because they weren't obeying government mandates. Remember that? And I thought, what are we, World War II, Germany? Are we a communist country now? What's going on here? We're supposed to be a free country. You know, I've even had debates with my unsafe friends, and I'm thinking, and I always got to remember, they're blind, they're darkened, they don't see it, I, I get it. But... I remember actors would lose roles in Hollywood if they didn't toe the line. I remember reading an, an interview by, for, with Matthew McConaughey, which is, he's like a key Catholic, believer. he's a believer. Here's what he said in this interview. He said, here's uh, him talking. He said, when I thanked God and talked about prayer in a Hollywood awards assembly, some of the actors that agree with me in private wouldn't even nod their heads in agreement with me because they would risk losing work. That was Matthew McConaughey saying that. That's not me saying that. But that's the way it is. That's the way it is. You, you cannot dissent. You better agree. You better agree with this darkened world or else you lose. You'll suffer loss. That's what's happening to Daniel. If he doesn't agree, he will suffer tremendous loss. And you and I may face these things somewhere one day. And just know that these are possibilities now because they're in place now. Now, next integrity point for Daniel as I, as I try to drive this home. Daniel maintains a consistent walk with God. He maintains a consistent walk with God. It's an integrity issue for him. Does he panic? No, he just does what he always did, Right? So I pray to God. It's non-negotiable. I'm going to do what I always done. I know you got your new law over there, but this is what I do, and I'm going to do it. Side note, on this issue right here, did Daniel go up to his house and slam the windows open to show everybody? No, he didn't act defiant. He didn't, act, he didn't do any of those things whatsoever. 
his window was probably already open. Probably always open. And he always prays at that spot. This is, he's just going, he's just doing what he's always done in his life. Now, let me say this with tremendous caution. Because Christians can take things and run with them to the point that it's heresy. We do obey the laws of the land until we can't. You know that, right? Because somebody will quote to you Romans 13, obey the laws of the land, obey government. Yeah, I get that. But there's a, there's a, big, there's a higher law. And Daniel proves it. But you always want to be careful with that, disobeying the law of the land. Make sure you're being scriptural because too many people just want to disobey just to disobey. I mean, you want to think of something nuts? Um, God, that's a 60s term, huh? Not 60s. Um, in Romans, Paul tells Christians to pay the poll tax to Rome. Do you think that tax money was going to good stuff? Nope, but he says, pay your taxes. Pay your taxes. So you always got to be careful with, you know, what you want to rebel against and things like that because you could be rebelling against something. God says, don't be rebelling on that one right there. Don't be doing that, okay? Now, big question. When Daniel's up there and his window's open, where are his enemies? I think they're standing right under the window. I think they're right there, just like, well, there, I knew he'd do it. There he is, he's doing it. Now, <clears throat> Here's the big question. Um, verse 10, look back at verse 10. Which way is Daniel facing when he prays? What? Say that louder, what? Oh, towards Jerusalem. Ah. So he's in Babylon facing Jerusalem, right? That means he's facing uh, west. That's what he's facing. Now, you're not going to come back to this, so turn to your left a little bit. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 8. I want to show you something. He's facing Jerusalem. Look at 1 Kings chapter 8. Now, watch these, listen to these words here. This is when Solomon is dedicating the temple. It's a lot of fanfare. It's a big, big deal. But watch the, the, uh, the admonition. It says in verse 47, 1 Kings 8, 47. I'm going to read to verse uh, 50. If they take thought in the land where they have been taken captive, Daniel's captive, and repent and make supplication to you, you, capital you, God, in the land of those who have taken them captive, saying, we have sinned and have committed iniquity, we have acted wickedly. If they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who have taken them captive and pray to you toward their land which you have given to their fathers, the city which you have chosen and the house which I have built for your name. In other words, which way should they be praying in the land that they're in captivity in? Towards where? Or Jerusalem. Isn't that something? That Daniel, I won't read the rest of it, it's just, but Daniel, open, he has the window open, and he's always prayed towards Jerusalem. Does he know his scriptures? Okay, now, he's praying towards the city. The city is Jerusalem, right? Here's the question, and I'm going to read one, a few, say a few more things. Turn to, we'll turn to another section, and then, we'll, and then we'll, we'll take it home. Okay, he's praying towards Jerusalem. Raise up a question. What city do you and I live for? It's a good question, right? Yeah. What city do we live for? Okay. 
The secret to Daniel's integrity, the secret to his life, is that he's living, he's got the window open, and he always prays towards the city of Jerusalem. He's living for God's city. But he lives in Babylon. You and I live in Babylon. But our city's in heaven. Make sense? Okay. I want to give you one more thought. Keep the thought. What city are you living for? It's not in your notes, but I thought, eh, it fits perfect. Turn to Hebrews, way to your right. And then we'll, then we'll close in prayer. Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith. And when you get to Hebrews, we're going to look at a statement about Abraham at verse 8. Hebrews 11, verse 8. It says this, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place, and I, and I shared this verse on Sunday, uh, if I remember right, went out to a place which he was to receive her an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Is that wild or what? Just a bit, God says, go that way. Okay, first step that way, here we go. Verse 9, By faith he lived in as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents, with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. Verse 10. For he was looking for the city. Say city. city. He was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. God. And what city is that? Seven. See, the whole point is this. Whatever city you and I are looking for will be the city that you and I are living for. We are aliens in our own Babylon here. And we don't live for this. We live for that city. And if that's the city where I was looking for, that's the city we're going to live for. And we will have a firm foundation. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the life of Daniel and the fact that we have all this narrative on his life and the things that he faced, the things that he went through. Lord, next week we're going to see him thrown into the lion's den because he stood firm on what he believed in the midst of corruption in the midst of a government that turned on him in the midst of a government and country that created laws to snuff out his faith in God and Lord we're going to watch this man further in action a man whose life is built on rock not on sand thank you Jesus for this example to us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. We all say, Amen. Amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.